This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, we've got a big one for you on Thanksgiving week. On the eve of Thanksgiving, we're joined by Big T, Connor Knapp from Barstool Sports. He joins us to preview Tennessee in Vanderbilt. Of course, that one's coming up on Saturday, 2.45 p.m. Central Time kickoff from Knoxville on the SEC Network. We'll dive into kind of the state of that rivalry and the fact that the last 10 years, it's it's dead even. Five and five are both of these teams, and they've, got, they've scored the same exact amount of points. So this rivalry in the past decade has been even, and, and uh, we want to let everyone know that. But we will preview Tennessee Vandy with Big T from Barstool Sports, but also Will and I – dive into Vanderbilt basketball. Vanderbilt defeated Winthrop uh, last week, and and now they're uh, entering a game with Pitt. So, of course, that game is likely going on as you're listening to this right now or has already happened, Uh, but we'll dive into a little bit of basketball. We'll get to our three things to watch in the Tennessee Vandy game. But coming your way, right here up next on the Door Report is our big Thanksgiving extravaganza episode. Stay tuned because we've got all that coming up next here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening. To the Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 128. It is November 24th, 2021. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And, Will, we've got probably our biggest one yet. It's a big Thanksgiving episode. We haven't we haven't had an episode here for maybe, what, five or six days, I think. But we, uh, we've both been busy. But we're able to get one here, of course, uh, on Tennessee Week. We'll recap a little bit of, uh, a little bit of basketball. Of course, uh, a, no- a news and note there with Peyton Daniels entering the transfer portal. But, but well, it's about that time. It's it's that crossover time where you're you're getting pretty deep into the basketball season. You still got football to talk about. Yeah, and you have Thanksgiving, and you have so it's it's been tough for us because we wanted to come on and recap, but you were traveling back yep. um, to the area, so it, it, it's a tough time of year. You have the holidays going on. You have basketball really getting into the swing of things, and you have football closing mm-hmm. out slash. You know, Vanderbilt was a little bit better this year, getting into the real swing of things. But um, yeah, we have some fun, and uh, we have a pretty good guest joining later as well. Oh yeah, yeah, we got uh, Mr. Big T. Uh, name is Connor Knapp. Uh, of course, you and you and him go back uh, to the high school days, so it'll be fun talking to Big T about uh, the Tennessee Vandy game, and and uh, that'll kind of uh, that'll recap the episode. But well, before we get to all of this stuff, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors craftsmanship you can stand on all right well let's get to it let's let's start with a little bit of basketball let's get this basketball out of the way and there's there's a note here before we get to a little bit of the Winthrop game uh we'll try to run through this pretty quickly but Peyton Daniels has entered the transfer portal and we had kind of heard heard some rumblings about him and and some a little bit about his suspension and how him and coach Stackhouse may not have have been have gotten off to the right foot here here early on but uh will for him it, it was you know, I guess because of the leading up to this this happening and, and the, the suspension, it wasn't super surprising, but he's a guy that we thought could be pretty talented and, and, and become a really good player. And he showed some flashes early on this season. But uh, but Peyton Daniels, of course, he has entered the transfer portal. And and will, you know, I hate saying this about a about a team and a guy, but I'm not I'm not saying this is a massive blow. But whenever you see this, it's kind of like, oh, you know, we got we got a transfer. Hopefully 
you know, this, this, this doesn't snowball. I don't, I don't think it will. I don't think this, this will, this will snowball. Yeah. This it is weird that he would do this in the middle of the season when he's actually playing, you know, he's not playing a ton of minutes, but he's averaging about 12.7 minutes per game. You mentioned issues with Stackhouse, but I think this is not a sign of broader issues. This is not like Marcus Bradley. This is not like what happened with the football program. This is a guy who saw the writing on the wall. Mm -hmm. He saw the recruiting class they have coming in. He knows Jordan Wright has another year. Lawrence is his uh, it has a few years left and is ahead of him. Trey Thomas was playing more minutes than him consistently on top of the class you have coming in. So this was just a guy looking at around and saying, I'm not really getting consistent, meaningful minutes right now, and my current minutes are going to decrease as this season continues right. to go on. The guys around me are my same class or are younger coming mm-hmm. in, um, and likely I'm just not going to ever get a chance to consistently play on this roster regardless yeah. of anything else. So, And then you combine that with issues he may have had with Stackhouse, and it is weird that he would do it in the middle of the year, four games into his freshman season, but uh, you have Dezoni there as well, who I forgot to mention. So th- this is this doesn't concern me. You're not really going to notice it on the floor, in my opinion. Um, that doesn't mean he's not a talented player, and I wish I think we both wish him success wherever he ends up. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, with Peyton Daniels, he's a guy that has talent, and he came out, I think, the Georgia area, I'm pretty sure. And so that's kind of one of those recruits that I think Stack was trying to build into a, his type of guy. But, again, Peyton Daniels uh, has decided to go otherwise. But, Will, let's – Let's touch on Winthrop a, a little bit. I know I, I didn't get to watch a ton of it, but to be able to bounce back like that, the way they did after that BCU game was pretty impressive. And Winthrop was an NCAA tournament team last year, uh, one of three non-conference teams that made the tournament last year. And, and and you know, they're a formidable opponent. You know, that was a good home victory. And, and you know, who knows how much uh, better or worse Winthrop is than last season. But, Will, to see them bounce back is what I was was most impressed with. And, and because, hey, well, if they would have come back after that and that lost another one, that's the snowball effect you didn't want, you know, and that and that didn't happen. And, and you saw some impressive performances from Jordan Wright. Scotty Pippen, I think, is still – I think he's working through maybe some kinks, but he'll get to the point sooner rather than later to where we can, you know, really count on him as, the, as that 20-point, 25-point scorer even. But when you've got Jordan Wright and Tyron Lawrence playing the way they did, well, this team's going to be tough to beat. And, and you know, even – that takes a lot off of guys like Quint Malora Brown down low to score. Like Malora Brown, we talked about before the season. If he puts, if he scores ten points a game, that that that'll be money, you know. So so to get Tyron Lawrence and Jordan Wright to that point and playing that well was impressive to see. And will Tyron Lawrence really jumped out to me? He made some plays that you know we may not have expected after his injury, but he is one of their top tier athletes. And if he can play like that. And, and kind of create that that guard tandem with him and Jor- Jordan Wright and Scottie Pippen. This team's going to be tough to beat, and they shot the ball well. And that, that shows, well, if they shoot the ball well, they're going to beat a lot of teams. But if they don't, they shoot two for 25, that, that, that puts them at the eight behind the eight ball because they're not as dominant down low in the post to where they can rely on those points. So, Will, this, is a, this was an impressive comeback victory. Yeah, I, so I don't know whose idea it was. I'm sure it wasn't anybody's idea, but it worked out that way to have the Ole Miss game, uh, the football game, at the same exact time as the Vanderbilt <laughs> Winter basketball game. So I was trying to switch up back and forth, but I ended up watching majority of uh, majority of the football game and catching very little of the basketball game. I went back through, watched some highlights, looked through the box score, and you said they shot well. Uh, I would not evaluate them as shooting well. I would say Tyron Lawrence and Jordan Wright well, they, shot, they shot well. Better. They shot as a better. team, they shot under thirty percent from three. So uh, I don't. I think this team still has potential uh, to look a lot better than they, they can, did offensively. Yeah. And Billy, there's one thing I point to that that's always drives me insane. Even after the seventy-seven to sixty-three victory, um, which was huge, and I and I do want to discuss that a tiny bit. But they shot fifty-five percent from the free throw line, and they didn't shoot well from the free throw line against VCU either. That is something that has to be fixed. There is nothing else in any sport that you get literal free points. There is no defense. If you are shooting alone in the gym, it is the exact same shot as if there are 15,000 people screaming at you in the middle of a game with two seconds on the clock. So that has to improve because for a team like Vanderbilt that's right on that edge, a lot of times free throws are the difference maker, but this was a crux. This was a a point in the season that this season could go two directions. You had a bad loss against VCU. I don't mean bad in that VCU is an awful team, but a bad loss you played poorly. And it's very easy to go either direction. Is this team going to bounce back and have a good performance with a lot of energy and and learn from that loss and then erase it from their minds? Or are you going to kind of continue down this trajectory 
of failure that, mm. that we've seen in the past three seasons. And this team obviously went the direction we wanted them to. And it's right. nice, Billy, to uh, come out and be a little bit positive and be like, it, okay, it guys, is. take a chill pill and then be right. And the team come out and, and bounce back and have a performance like this. So yeah. unfortunately, I watched the Ole Miss game a majority of the time and did not see a victory. That is not what I witnessed no. a majority of the day on Saturday. Yes. And Will, it feels like with Vandy fans right now, um, especially with this basketball team, they have a big loss and everybody talks about it. Everybody talks about the woes of Vanderbilt basketball and then they bounce back, get a good win. Feels like a lot of fans are just kind of ignoring it. And it's like for for us, Will, that, that's a that's a nice bounce back. I mean, it's a it, lot easier to be negative than it is to be positive. Yeah. So there's a two way street. Will. I mean, they, they could have kept going down that road of losses and kind of keep spiraling. But no, they, they took the other turn. And I think they're headed in the right direction. And Will, I know you said, you know, they shot poorly. I was kind of referring to that VCU game. That's that's rock bottom. Oh, well, yeah, they shot better than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah let, let's it, everything's kind of based on that VCU game. But Will, it was just nice. It was nice to see that. And and uh, they will they'll play tonight. They'll play tonight on the road against Pitt. It's Jeff Capel. No more Kevin Stallings at Pittsburgh. So, Will, the streak could be broken tonight. The, the ghost of Kevin Stallings, I think a lot of those demons could be removed tonight. I don't know how that for Vanderbilt to get a win. Does that happen? Or, or is the ghost of Kevin Stallings eliminated from, from Memorial Gym? I would like to say yes. Yeah, I tweeted that out. I said, even though he's not coaching there, I think this is this is a moment to lift the curse of Coach Kevin Stallings. But I think it was my dad actually replied to that tweet that I sent out and said, maybe we're looking at this with too narrow of a mind and said, maybe this is just a Nashville sports curse. Maybe it's not. Maybe it wasn't Kevin Stallings that put the bad juju onto uh, Vanderbilt athletics. City. Yeah, the entire city seems cursed when you look at the Titans. Yeah. But Pittsburgh, I mean, they're, they have this homage of – being a traditionally pretty good program and being in a solid place, but this Pittsburgh team's not good. This should be a win. Vanderbilt's mm-hmm. a three and a half point favorite, even on the road. ESPN's matchup predictor, which is probably the stupidest thing on the planet. It values being at home, like it boosts you like 40% um, into your in in their percentage calculations. I think they give Pittsburgh like a 60% chance to win this game. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. Yeah. Right now, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's at 169 and Ken Palm down there mm-hmm. with teams like Montana. And Winthrop, who Vanderbilt just beat, Winthrop is number 170. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a pretty, I know it's early in the season. It's hard to look at these rankings and really evaluate a lot. But right now you're playing a team that's very, very similar to the Winthrop team you just dismantled on Saturday. So it is on the road. It's a test against a bigger conference opponent that's going to have better athletes. But this is a game that Jerry Stackhouse and the boys should come out and win. They should. They need to win this game. And uh, that's an 830, I think it's 830 Eastern, so 730 Central. Uh, I'm pretty, was it, is it 830? I have it written down at Eight central. Eight, eight central. So I, eight, I eight believe central. so. Yep, those Eastern time. That, that that's screwing me up. But eight eight yeah. eight central time tonight. ACC Network, Vanderbilt, and Pitt. Will the crowd should be interesting too. That that's a traditionally pretty decent student section. And I don't know if there will be too many students there. It's Wednesday night before <laughs> Thanksgiving. That should it's be. It's that Thanksgiving break game. There, there's yeah. going to be almost no students there. Yeah. I I've gone a few times into Memorial and bought the student section tickets uh, in that Thanksgiving break because they sell those because all mm-hmm. the students are away and it's a uh, it's an interesting environment during yeah. these. Uh, <laughs> games you got a lot of normal fans in that student section oh yeah <laughs> but well let's uh we got our basketball out of the way again Vanderbilt and Pitt tonight eight o'clock central time I know we are a little bit crunch for time but let's do our best to recap Ole Miss and and I didn't wa- I didn't get a chance to watch a whole lot of this live um you know we're, we've been so busy here in the last couple of weeks um but Will I went back and watched this and I think something that jumped out to me about this game was Vanderbilt, you know, I don't think there was a feeling that Vanderbilt was ever going to cut it to a touchdown. You know, I I don't think that. But I think the fact that they only lost 31-17 by 14 points – is 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 a step in the right direction and this this was improvement i mean that's one thing that jumps out to me in this game yes there was a lot of bad there was a lot of things that you still look at and a lot of the same issues are, are popping up still but mike Wright's the guy i mean that, that's what i came up to will and, and i know you agree with me and we were talking about this uh before and, and my opinion continues to change about that guy and, and i i think honestly looking at the way he played within that offense at ole miss and now if he can do the same against tennessee now, all of a sudden, you've got some momentum for Mike Wright heading into next season as the quarterback. You know, I mean, who knows what, what's going to happen at that position. But, Will, Mike Wright is is the better option in this offense. We've talked about that. But for me, against Ole Miss, you really saw what he could do. I mean, he made some throws, too, some tight throws. That throw to Ben Bresnahan, he made a couple to Chris Pierce. He had a nice Johnson pressure. So, 
I think we're seeing, Will, that Mike Wright is a capable passer. Will, for me, I learned a lot about Mike Wright and just kind of but but also will on defense. I mean, you gave up 31 points to Ole Miss, but that defense played well in that fourth quarter. I mean, this Ole Miss offense, I think we both expected them to come out and move the ball effortlessly up and down the field. You have Matt Corral, who's a legitimate Heisman candidate for them at quarterback, and he's pretty much torn up every single defense he's played against this year. I mean, you look at how they started started out the year outside of the Alabama game. They scored 52 against Arkansas, 31 against Tennessee, 31 against LSU. Uh, they scored 20 against Auburn, 27 against Liberty. 29 against AM, and 31 against Vanderbilt. So was it a phenomenal defensive performance where they played perfect and everything was great? Absolutely not. I mean, of course not. You still gave up 31 points. That being said, this team also gave up 23 points week one to ETSU and a team that moved the ball up and down the field. And really, you can just look at the box score and say this was a massive step forward for this team. Uh, They had more first downs than Ole Miss, 25 versus 23. They had very similar total yardage for the game, 454 yards uh, total for Vanderbilt, 470 for Ole Miss. Of course, Ole Miss passed for more. Ole Miss Mm -hmm. passed for 326, Vanderbilt for 241. uh, But they outgained on the ground Ole Miss. Uh, Vanderbilt ran for 213 yards versus uh, Ole Miss's 144 yards. So this, and they, time of possession, my favorite stat, Billy. Love it. Vanderbilt, 38 minutes, time of possession, Ole Miss, 21 minutes. That's, um, so, that's crazy to me. That's crazy so, to look at that stat. And, and, you know, Vanderbilt lost by 14, but and I know you hate the stat, but that's still pretty eye-popping to, to see that. And, and the fact that Van, I'm not saying they controlled the game, but they possessed the ball. I mean, you yeah, know, they and, had chances. And, Will, if they can score touchdowns instead of those field goals, field goals are not going to beat many SEC teams at all. Um, so I think that's the next step, Will, to translate those to touchdowns. And, and if and, they can, you know, get to the red zone, but also, you know, you got to find a way to punch it in. And there you go, Billy. You hit on what I was about to say, which is why that time of possession stat is misleading is number one. You obviously have Ole Miss and uh, Tennessee, who uh, we are about to start previewing. Um, Both run that up-tempo offensive style, and Tennessee is an even more accelerated version of Ole Miss's up-tempo style. Um, So number one, Vanderbilt's probably going to win time of possession against UT. Um, they are probably, no matter what the final score is, they will probably win time of possession. But number two, what this box score really shows is the number one red zone offense and efficiency in the entire conference versus about the worst offense yeah. in the entire SEC in red zone efficiency. The yardage, moving the ball up and down the field was pretty similar. I mean, you, you saw Vanderbilt able to move the ball against this Ole Miss defense. You saw the defense come in and have some opportunistic stops after the first two drives of the game. You saw them pick off Matt Corral, who only had two interceptions prior to this mm-hmm. game. Um, and it's another one of those things. You just saw better athletes on Ole Miss's side. But this defense is in the right spots. I think Ethan Barr is the perfect definition and symbol of what we are talking about in that Ethan Barr is a very good player and he's always trying to get in the right spot or in the right spot. Mm -hmm. He's just one step slow, one slight, one notch a little bit below where his athleticism needs to be. And he is the perfect guy for team one in what we are saying in that it doesn't mean that these players on the Vanderbilt defense are bad. And it doesn't mean that the defensive system is bad. But right now, you just need the guys that fit that system and can fill those gaps, make that play. And I do want to give credit to Barr. He had probably the best interception of the year for Vanderbilt there in the red zone against <laughs> Corral to he give did. him his third of the year. And, and one fun thing that Vanderbilt did is they probably ruined Matt Corral's Heisman hopes. Um, because yep. that game against Vanderbilt is not a great look for no, that uh, Heisman no, candidacy. It's not. It's not. And, Will, I think with this this defense, I mean, we keep learning. I mean, we've known what this defense is about and what they've, they've been able to do. The scoreboard doesn't show it. But if, if you have eyes and you can see what this defense is doing, you're see, you see improvement. So, Will, again, Ole Miss, if you don't have much else. Uh, we got to we gotta put about. out some names, though. And Rocco Griffin had a hell of a game. Uh, we've yeah, been talking yes, about did. Patrick. We've been talking about Patrick Smith a lot, so I want to put out his name. Rocco yes. Griffin played incredibly well. Chris Pierce played incredibly well. Yes, he did. So I want to put those two names out there because we talked about Mike Wright, we talked about the defense, yeah. but those guys deserve to get yeah. some shout outs here. As and well. Rocco Griffin kind of slipped under the radar a little bit because you saw a lot of Patrick Smith, but Rocco kind of stepped up. Twenty six carries, one hundred and seventeen yards, and a touchdown. Yeah. I mean that that's I believe it was his career high. That was yeah. a hell of a game. All of a sudden, Will with Maurice Edwards coming in to the young freshman next season and Ramon Davis is coming back they've got a pretty damn good running back room for next year so uh again if you can see that from Rocco Griffin and Pat Smith you know and against Tennessee I think I think you will see a similar performance again the defense has to step up again well uh, as as to uh, as well but 
Well, let's get into Tennessee. And and again, we again this is a this is a an overarching kind of episode. We can go back to Ole Miss if we want to during this preview. Um, but we'll talk to Big T here coming up. But also, will Tennessee is very similar to Ole Miss. I think they eat, they run even more up tempo. They're a lot quicker, a little bit quicker than Ole Miss, but very similar offense. And and to see what Vanderbilt's defense did against Ole Miss was pretty impressive. Tennessee similar stats to Ole Miss. I mean, they, for a while they were one of the top scoring offenses in, in, in the country. I mean, they've got 38 points per game, uh, 460 total yards per game, uh, a great rushing team as well. And that goes unnoticed. So, but Will, with this, with this game, I wrote down three key things to watch. And uh, again, I'm not sure if you have, I think you do have yours as well. I've but, got mine. I separated them out so that yeah, we couldn't see and each I other. I, so we could be, I haven't looked yeah. at yours, but, but let's get <laughs> into it. Um, I'm going to start, Will, we just talked about it, but can the offense score touchdowns? And this this goes a little bit deeper because when they get in the red zone, Will, it's almost like they – I hate saying it, but it's almost like they stop trying to score. Um, and it's tough to watch, you know, sometimes because, you know, the, it always gets tougher to play call in the red zone. But I think when you get in the, the red zone, Will, that's where Mike Wright shines. And, and you know, I know you can, you know, you can talk about read options and, and just continue running those. But if you just give the ball to Mike Wright and say, hey – you know, let, let's get you in the shotgun by yourself. And, and if you see a guy open, if you don't see your couple of reads open, tuck it and run. Um, and, and I think that's where Vanderbilt's offense has a lot of success. And, Will, you saw at certain times against Ole Miss, the Rocco Griffin touchdown, there was no one around Rocco. There were three guys waiting for Mike Wright to tuck it and run. So that helps the running game as well. So, Will, I'm not saying they don't have to throw the ball, but – for this team, I think you're going to see more success with Mike Wright's legs and Rocco Griffin's legs than a fade route in the corner of the end zone to Chris Pierce or, or Will Shepard or one of those guys. So not saying they can't score, not saying that's not an option, but will whatever this team has to do to find a way to score touchdowns will will make Vandy fans a lot happier, and that's going to make a difference in the game against Tennessee because it, it made a difference against Ole Miss. They weren't scoring touchdowns. So, Will, for me, can they score touchdowns rather than field goals because they're going to need them against Tennessee. So that's my number one. And, and well, against Tennessee, you got to keep up. You got to find ways to keep up. The only way to do that is finishing drives with touchdowns. So uh, again, I, I would rely on Mike Wright and kind of say, Hey, if you want to keep it, keep it, but l- look at your reads. And you know, if you're dropping back and throwing, tuck it and run, tuck it and run it and get those yards you can, because he can make guys miss as well. So I think, can they score touchdowns? That's my first question, but also how involved is Mike Wright in that? Because I think if he is involved, that's that's going to make a difference in that regard. Yeah, I like that we can finally this, – this has been the problem with this season. So initially we started out and the team just wasn't moving the ball. And so we were like looking at the first and second down play calling and what seems to be the issue and what are the concepts here that are that are causing problems and why this offense can't move the ball. And now at least we were moving the ball against Ole Miss. And now you say, okay, now it's time to break down issues that we have within the offense, which is red zone play calling. So it's nice to take a step forward where you can actually evaluate a previous week's performance and then create a key slash thing to watch in the next week. So, um, but obviously this team is going to have to score touchdowns to win a game. Um, And you see it a lot in coaching, especially with offenses that struggle, like Vanderbilt's has. You see the the coaching play calling tighten up a little bit in that red zone. You can't turn the ball over, have to get the points. And at this point, it's another thing. Who cares? That that's where I get to is if you throw picks in the red zone, who cares if you lose I, I could 42 nothing? I mean, you're two and nine. It, it, yeah. at this point, just hairs. try to go out and win the game. The final score is not going to determine whether or not you're ranked higher or lower, or if you gain or lose a recruit. It that's not going to matter. The guys that want to be there are going to still be in this program and come to this program right now. And so just lay it out all on the line. It sounds you. like Clark Lee and his press conferences is there, but I'll get to my key yeah. one, which is just going to be get one stop on the first first two drives of the game. Vanderbilt in every SEC game this year is allowed to drive down for points. Um, in nine straight games they have, and against Ole Miss, they immediately gave up a touchdown in the first two minutes of the game. Second drive for Ole Miss, gave up a field goal. Uh, then you're down 10 nothing, And here you are. You're playing from behind the entire game. And even though the team bounced back and ended up only 
really losing ground to four points after those first two drives. They played a damn even game. It's hard to dig out of that hole when you when you have an offense that struggles, a team that doesn't really know how to win. You really, even though the game was only a two-score game for a majority of that fourth quarter, you really never felt like Vanderbilt had an opportunity to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because they dug themselves in too big of a hole early. So if you can come out and see a stop on one of the first two drives, I think that would give hope for the rest of this game being a little bit more competitive than a lot of people are expecting. Yeah, and will I'm it's just so tough to evaluate some this team sometimes, especially offensively where you see you see signs of life uh, but then they they you know they either turn it over or you get that field goal um, you know in, in that situation. But will my second question here is can Mike Wright play the game of his life? because he's going to need it. And I'm not going to say he played the game of his life against Ole Miss, but that was, I'd say that was his best performance of the season and and kind of all phases of the game. We've seen him, we saw him play well against South Carolina. He played pretty well against Missouri, but Will, he's going to need a little bit more. He's going to need some of that swagger. He's going to need that to carry over because I think, Will, we're at the point with this team where Mike Wright, like Mike, this, this team goes as Mike Wright goes. You know, I, I think that's where we're at with this team because, you know, you look at Ken Seals and, and you know, we, we love the guy. We loved what he brought, you know, to this team. But for Mike Wright and, and what he's able to do, this team will go as he goes, you know. And, and so for me, I think he's going to have to play the game of his life uh, for Vanderbilt to win. And I think he can. I mean, he showed against Ole Miss. He had, what what was it, almost 240 passing yards. Well, he ran the ball well also. So for Mike Wright, I think that first question is, can he play – the game of his life because against Tennessee, you got to have that quarterback that can keep up. That's going to be a fun matchup also, by the way, Hendon Hooker versus Mike Wright. So if Mike, well, it's tough because he doesn't even have it. I hate saying he's got to be perfect. He can't, he can't turn the ball over, but you know, and to an extent, he's got to play that perfect style of game where almost 300 yards passing, he's got to rush for around 100 yards. So he has to be a big part of it. And again, his stats don't jump out, but his stats are a lot better than Ken Seals. And we've talked about that. So, and, and Will, boy, was it reassuring to, to hear Clark Lee say, Mike Wright's our guy. And it's just the right thing to do right now, to go with Mike Wright and send him out there and say, hey, go win us a game. So that's kind of the, the situation we're in right now. And for Clark Lee to say that, it just kind of emphasizes the fact that he gets it. He understands what he has to do to beat Tennessee. And, and Will, I, I, it's, it's understandable. I mean, it, as, as wild as that position has been all season, he's going to have to play the game of his life. And the receivers will like, also have to help him out. You know, you've got to, you've got to see help around there. And, and um, if Chris Pierce, you haven't seen that game or all three guys, and even Bresnahan, you saw it a little bit against Ole Miss. Bresnahan made a few good catches, but, Will, I'd love to see some of these receivers kind of band together and say, hey, let's let's help our guy out and, and you know, let, let's make a difference in the game. So, Will, can he play the game of his life? It's going to be a big question, big if. Yeah, I don't know what this train is doing because it just came by. I don't know why it's possibly honking again, so I'll just talk <laughs> through it. Um, it just came by. I don't I don't. Great, know. great but, timing. Onto the onto this, but Mike Wright in this game specifically, on top of playing well against Ole Miss and playing well when he's had the chance, this game in particular, and it'll be my key three, so I'm not going to get into it yet. But okay. Mike Wright is a bad matchup for UT. Yes, um, he, is. he is. He is definitely the guy that if you want to say give yourself a chance to remain competitive throughout this game, Mike Wright is that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll get into that more in my key three, which is yep. my main main thing to watch for the entirety of the game. But my my key number two is. Quarterback pressure, uh, something that I, I, look, I like to look through all the stats. I've watched a lot of UT's games throughout the year. Um, and the one thing that doesn't get a lot of attention is this Tennessee team gives up a lot of sacks. Um, I don't think that has been given a lot of attention from media, whether it's UT or national or people that cover the SEC. This team is by far the worst offensive line at giving up sacks in the entire country or the entire SEC. They get, they've given up 42 on the season. The next highest is 31 with LSU. Ooh. Vanderbilt, for context, how much we complain about our offensive line and how awful they are, which is what I hear is this offensive line just doesn't allow them to do anything. Well, Vanderbilt's only given up 23 sacks this year. So, I, I mean, twenty. I believe it's 23 or 25. So, <laughs> a little bit of perspective. This offensive line for Vanderbilt has not been that bad. Um, and, the, and the other side, flip side of that, is Vanderbilt's defensive line has really not provided a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's a key matchup. You have pretty much the worst offensive line at pass protection 
um, and giving up sacks. And you also really have probably the worst defensive line at creating sacks. So it, it's a it's meeting there, and that's going to be a deciding factor. And if this defense is able to have any sort of success against this explosive Tennessee offense, they have to create negative plays. And the easiest way to do that against Tennessee is sacks. Yep. And will it feels like this is the type of game where you need a big play, you need a punt return, you need a force fumble recovery for a touchdown, you need a pick six. Vanderbilt hasn't had a pick six all year. They've had some interceptions. They've had quite a, a few interceptions. Yes. Yep. They've had quite a few <laughs> interceptions, but they haven't been able to take it to the house. So, will you need that type of big play? And I think that kind of correlates with your key there. If it comes on defense, so be it. But if it comes on special teams, you know, who knows where it comes from. But all right, so, Will, for me, number three, my, my last question here is, will Team 1 finish the, three, the season strong? And, you know, I, I think all season long we've been looking for that four-quarter performance. We, we've been looking for them to play complementary football. But, you know, even against the wins they've had against Colorado State and UConn, you, you couldn't really say they played complementary football. Yes, they got the wins, but it seems like this Tennessee game is all culminating to a headway of a performance where Team 1 shows what they're made of. They go out there and, and – and they're able to compete, maybe, maybe give their shot, give themselves a shot to win. And, and I'm just interested to see that, you know, because I think it's all been kind of culminating to this game. And, and well, again, we like, we like to talk about rivalries and throwing the records out the window. I think this season, yes, Tennessee is a better team. They're, they're an explosive offense, but I really do think, and will Tennessee could come out and kill Vanderbilt and all this wouldn't matter. But I think for the sake of the conversation, this team won. It's important. This matters. And we've talked about this season mattering. And, and how are they going to be remembered? And are they going to are they going to go out getting bludgeoned by Tennessee in Clark Lear's first year? That'd be a major, you know, that'd be a major drop down. Not that the season is all isn't already a drop down for, for a lot of Andy fans of Clark Lee, but Will, I'm looking at how do they finish? Do they finish strong and do they lead themselves, give Bandy fans a little bit of confidence? And, and what they have for next season because they've got some dudes coming in a recruiting class so will for me it's can they finish strong and we're gonna see on saturday yeah uh, unfortunately we're getting a little little close on time here for me so uh so we're gonna have to do this a little bit quicker than i would have liked but i could there talk about the tennessee ut matchup for a while this tennessee team passes the eye test um, that is the big thing is this team looks tremendously better than they than they have in the past. And they are better than they have been in the past. Heupel has come in and provided a lot of energy to that program. He's made them a better football team this year than they were last year, objectively. A lot of that has has had to do with Hendon Hooker and his play. Um, but they passed the eye test. And that's and that's a lot of what we look at as fans and when we comment on games is does this team look like a good football team? That being said, yes, they do. But the big criticism and why the UCF Josh Heupel offense has never picked up steam in the SEC, the big criticism has been you may be able to score quickly and with this fast-paced offense and you may have an explosive offense and be able to put up some incredible numbers offensively. But your defense is going to be out on the field even if you are having great a lot of success on offense 45 minutes of the game. And I hate time of possession as far as evaluating who wins or loses. But that defense is going to get tired, especially when you have a defense like Tennessee that right now is pretty thin. So you look at all these losses and Tennessee fans are like, we're right there. We're this close. We're so close to getting there. And look at the score against Ole Miss. Look at, look at how they started out against Georgia. And my combative statement to that is, well, yes, that's the whole criticism of this offense is you're going to come out and be leading at the end of the first quarter. Hell, you may be leading going into the second half, but by the third, fourth quarter, your defense is going to tire out and you're going to lose a lot of games that you were leading at halftime by about two, three scores. And that's what you've seen play out this year. So next year for UT is going to be a great test case for that. But I want to start out with a stat on my key three and say that if you want to stat, I believe it's Robbie Weinstein tweeted it out to trigger UT fans. The last 10 years, the last decade of these games, five and five with exactly 273 yep. points scored by each yep. team. So anybody that says this isn't a rivalry is in denial. And I think that Tennessee fans having to belittle Vanderbilt constantly just shows that they're a little bit scared. That being yeah, exactly. said, all, I, all I've seen is that Tennessee, great job by Heupel to win seven games this year. And I think that's bulletin board material. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to come out and win. Uh, but I do think this game is going to be a lot closer than people expect and more competitive um, because my key number three is put sustained drives together. You can't have three and outs. Vanderbilt, uh, we touched on it last week, uh, before the Ole Miss game was three and out 44% of their drives. Uh, Tennessee is the worst wow. defense in the SEC 
at forcing opponents into three and outs. They are forcing opponents into three and outs just 18.5% of the time, uh, which is dead last in the SEC. I mean, it's not even close. Vanderbilt forces three and outs 32% of the time. So yeah. this is it. And this is in SEC play. All these stats are in SEC mm. play. So this this Tennessee defense is, because their offenses look so good, this Tennessee yes. defense is really, really bad. Like, I don't, I don't know why yeah. that's not being talked about. Their O-line's not good. Their defense is not good. Um, and what the what their defense is doing mainly is giving up a lot of rushing yards. They are awful against the run. Mike Wright has to use his legs, which leads into the sustained drives. Yes. Matt Corral ran for 195 yards on 30 carries against UT. Tennessee is the worst defense in the SEC at giving up 10 to 15 yard plays. Vanderbilt has struggled the entire season to put together those 10 to 15 yard plays over the middle of the field. Tennessee's defense is the second worst in the entire SEC and SEC play, giving up seven to 10 yard gains. The only team that's worse, Vanderbilt at 14th. So I just want to say those stats to, to say that this Tennessee team is good and they are a 31 point favorite over Vanderbilt going into this game. But let's Which stop pretending that this is the same type of team going in as Ole Miss or Georgia. It's not. This team is beatable. They have a lot of flaws. I'm not saying beatable by Vanderbilt necessarily this year. They have a ton of flaws that Vanderbilt can exploit. And a team that has nothing to lose is a dangerous team. And Vanderbilt has nothing to lose. Everyone expects them to come in and get their butt kicked. I don't, but everyone else seems to. Vegas does. ESPN does. Tennessee fans do, and I think that can bond a team together that's gone through a lot of a lot of a lot of adversity uh, throughout this first season. And UT is giving up 214 yards rushing per game. Uh, the only defense worse than them in the conference in the SEC at giving up rush yards per game is Missouri. And you saw what Mike Wright was able to do against Missouri. So I think you are going to see a lot more explosive runs from Vanderbilt's offense, especially with what you saw last week against a better Ole Miss defense than what they're facing this week. A thin Tennessee defense, a running quarterback with a lot of implemented RPOs, throwing the kitchen sink at them. And I think that this game, Tennessee's going to score. But I don't think it's going to be the 63 to nothing bludgeoning that a lot of no. UT fans seem to be predicting no. online. No, and we'll get to our predictions. But, Will, we've talked about Tennessee tempo, but why not a little bit, Van little bit of Vanderbilt tempo in there? I mean, we, you know, we've seen the running game. I think some tempo would help Vanderbilt, especially with Mike Wright, Pat Smith, Rocco Griffin. Uh, but, Will, it's time. It's time for predictions. And, and we'll get to Big T's predictions here a little bit later. But it's Tennessee Vandy week. This game will uh, begin at 245. Ah. Got a lot of yelling going on here in the backyard. <laughs> Very excited for this but, prediction. Yeah, they're getting excited for this Tennessee Vandy game. But, Will, we got to run through these. First, I'll get to mine. I don't think Tennessee is going to – you know, they're going to put up points. I don't know if they put up 40 or 50 – but I think it's going to be very similar to the Ole Miss game. I think Vandy scores a little bit, though. I think they start to score touchdowns. But, well, I think it's going to come down to that four-quarter defense, that fourth-quarter defense for Vanderbilt. Are they able to create those turnovers? Because Tennessee's offense is not going to let up. They're not. They're just not. That's not what they do. Ole Miss's offense, I'm not saying they let up. But that, that you could see Lane Kiffin was pissed after that interception. If if Hendon Hooker makes a mistake, forces a fumble, or Vanderbilt gets an interception, I think that can make a big impact on this game. So, Will, I'm going to go. Tennessee 38, Vanderbilt 31. I think, again, it's, I think some people might be surprised that Vandy might put up 31, but this Tennessee defense is not good. Vanderbilt showing that they can score. And this, this Tennessee defense has been kind of blinded by that offensive success. So, Will, again, I, I'm not saying I've been thinking about this going back and forth. I think Vandy, it's going to take a lot to win. I'm not saying it's impossible that it's going to happen. But I just I, I don't see a situation where where Vanderbilt can can keep Tennessee's offense off the field because I mean they, Tennessee haven't hasn't proven um, you know to, to many people that they they won't let up and so I, I think I think Tennessee wins will uh, 38-31 again I, I'm very hesitant I was going to go 38-24 maybe 27 uh, I ended up giving Vandy the benefit of the doubt though there 38-31 Vandy battles it's it's a step in the right direction but will. Again, I wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Vanderbilt makes it even closer and Tennessee doesn't quite score 38, um, but it's just tough to see a victory here in Knoxville. So I'm going to go Tennessee 38, Vandy 31. Uh, but, man, I'm, I'm just as excited to watch this one, Will, as I, as I am every year. For I mean, I was excited last season. It's, it's a rivalry, and, and it means something. So, Will, I'm going to go Tennessee 38, Vandy 31. 
before the game last week, Billy, I, and you asked me if you would have asked me my prediction, my prediction would have been 55 to 10 uh, would have been my prediction. If you would have asked me last week prior to the Ole Miss game and seeing the defensive adjustments that were made and the defensive performance that, that Vanderbilt had and the success that they had previously against Missouri, they were able to move the ball against Ole Miss. So I think that Tennessee is still going to score. They run an even faster, more up-tempo paced offense than Ole Miss. I think they will score more than Ole Miss did against Vanderbilt. I think Matt, I think the Ole Miss offense played a pretty poor game. Um, I can see, I think, I'm just going to say my prediction. I think Tennessee 41, <laughs> Vanderbilt 27. I think this is going okay. to play out really, really similarly to the Missouri game. Uh, I think that Tennessee, regardless of what my key one was, is going to come out and score early. I think Vanderbilt will be in a hole, whether that's seven nothing, ten nothing, fourteen nothing. That's just going to happen. I'm just basing it off every single other game we've seen this season. And then I think the pace of play is going to slowly shift order to, over to Vanderbilt as they possess the ball more and more. As that Tennessee defense that's already really really bad tires out, um, you get some guys in the cold weather up there. Players might be getting tight on the sideline. And I think for the, regardless of what they say, Tennessee is going to go in this game a little less focused um, than they would if Vanderbilt was good. You can put out all the press clippings you want. It's They're going to slightly overlook a 2-9 and nine Vanderbilt team that started out the season with a 23-3 loss uh, to ETSU and lost to Mississippi State 45-6. to They just are. They think they're better. They are better. That So I think that Vanderbilt is going to come out, and I think that it's going to have a lot of Tennessee fans a little bit antsy uh, inside of Neyland because I don't, I just don't see – I 10% of me sees Tennessee coming out and just beating the brakes off of Vanderbilt and then being up 35-3 to at halftime. And 90% of me saw that before the Ole Miss game. Now I see a path to making this game not necessarily competitive in that Tennessee – is you know having to drive down to win the game at the end but i i can see vanderbilt competing throughout this game and i think it's going to be a little bit more of an interesting watch and entertaining watch than we would have thought so will repeat your uh repeat your prediction 41 to 27 before i head out of here billy <laughs> 41 27 all right will's gonna head out but uh, that does it here for episode 128 i've got uh we both got tennessee winning will's got 41 27 i've got tennessee 38 31 uh, but that does it here for episode 128. Coming up here on the Door Report, we've got Big T, Connor Knapp from Barstool Sports, checking in to preview Tennessee Vanderbilt here on Thanksgiving week. Welcome back into segment two of the Door Report. We have a very, very, very exciting guest here. Uh, his name is Connor Knapp. You might know him a little bit better by his given name over there at Barstool Sports, Big T. He's a digital content creator at Barstool Sports with a brewing rivalry with a certain member of the Barstool Sports crew over there. Um, we might get into that, who knows. Uh, he moved to the Nashville area. I've known him growing up in high school. We talked a lot of sports not being recorded well before he was uh, getting paid to talk about these sports at Barstool. I was the guy that he used to argue with a lot. Um, he moved to the Nashville area uh, after living in Atlanta. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Connor, for how long? Uh, I moved here when I was 13. I was in eighth grade. And then, yeah, you and I went to high school together. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing this for a long time. So. <laughs> well before the cameras were on us. But basically what I'm going to get into here before we get into anything with the game or anything with Barstool is I have to put out something that I don't think a lot of people are super aware of here since your nickname is Big T. Before being becoming Big T, you were Big GT. So I have a question. Are you still a Georgia Tech fan, man? I don't see you ever talking about the Yellow Jackets. I, I still follow tech in that I, you know, I, I keep up with what they're doing. Um, but they are, they are, uh, they're, they're one half step above Vandy in terms of competitiveness. Right. Yeah. Now. I think you were about to say one of the worst team in power five football. And I was about to step in and no, correct you no, there. They're, so. <laughs> they're third or fourth worst. There we go. There we go. Probably. Put some, put some respect um, on our name here. Yeah, um, but <laughs> uh, you know, my family still likes tech and stuff, so I, I keep up with them. But yeah, we'll yeah, have to uncover are... the video of you inside of uh, between the hedges there taunting Georgia fans as, as they walk out of the stadium. I, I have that somewhere rolling around on an old phone. We might have to find that. Was that was a great, that was a great day. That was 2014. That was fun. They're not yeah, that... beating Georgia Saturday, but. Yeah, it's not quite the same as that rivalry used to be. And you could say to an extent, the last 10 years of this rivalry have not been the same as they have been the previous 60 years. The last 10 years of this rivalry have been 5-5 five and five with, a, with each team scoring exactly 273 points. 
So you cannot draw up a more even last 10 really? years of this rivalry. That was tweeted from Rob, at Robbie Weinstein, if you want to follow him on Twitter. Um, covers Vanderbilt sports here. But that being said, I don't think anybody has illusions that this game going in is very even. I believe the line is still around 31 points um, with Tennessee obviously favored there. But we'll take a step back and, and talk about from the beginning to the end of the year because this Tennessee team is sitting at 6-5. and five. But I think a lot of people view them as a little bit better than their record shows. And a lot of that has to do with the quarterback situation and the quarterback play of Hendon Hooker. So give us a little breakdown of what the hell happened with Joe Milton um, and then what Hooker's brought to this offense under Heupel. Joe Milton looked really good for about two series against Bowling Green. And then uh, we found out that he just, like, if you need him to throw the ball 70 yards, he can do it, which is great. But if you need him to throw at 15, he will also throw at 70. So <laughs> that kind of became an issue. I, I've said the whole season, I would love, I'd pay $100 to watch the preseason scrimmages just to see why Milton started over Hooker. Because Hooker is not only like worlds better than him, he's an NFL quarterback. Like he could, I, th I think he's going to come back, but he could go and he'd get drafted this year for sure. Um, he's awesome. He's the most consistent quarterback we've had, certainly since Josh Dobbs, maybe even like, like Dobbs was a little bit better playmaker than he is. But I Hendon, in terms of just like putting the football where it needs to be, is probably the best. He's he's probably better than Dobbs at that. I would say, um, he's he's great. He's been awesome. Um, I think he's still in the top like five in the country in uh, passer efficiency and QBR and stats like that. Um, so yeah, he's been he's been great. Yeah, so going to that, you literally led into my next one, which is I was going to ask about what you thought about Hendon Hooker's draft prospects with what seems to be a relatively weak quarterback class. Are Tennessee fans, or are you a little bit concerned that that maybe if he plays really well in this Vanderbilt game, he already has been playing well down the stretch of this season and then plays well in the bowl game? Is it in the back of your mind, are you thinking maybe throw a couple picks in there and look a little a little worse so you can come back next year when Tennessee has potential to be a little bit better? Um, so Hendon comes on, uh, my podcast, macro dosing. He's one of our, uh, we have Arian Foster on there and he, uh, we've, we've struck some NIL deals with Hendon and Tyler Barron. Um, uh, and he, he was non-committal. We talked to him about it the other day. I think so. So I think it comes down to, I think he's the number seven, like Mel Kuyper's number seven quarterback in this class, which is a fairly weak class. So do you go out in that class where you might be one of the better guys or wait until next year. And, but even if you play better next year, you might not be, there might be guys ahead of you. Um, I think he comes back. I was about to say, if you, I was about to ask if you were a betting man, which you are a betting man, where would you slam your money down on the table? If you had even odds on both sides, I think he comes back because he's already a fifth year senior. So it's not like, I mean, he's going to be old either way. Um, and I think if he has another year, even just like he had this year, but I mean, give him another year in Heupel system, like no telling how good he might be. I think he could be like a Kenny Pickett type situation this year where his stock really rockets up. Yeah. So we've got, we kind of know what Tennessee's strengths are. I mean, you can obviously see it hooker, that passing game, the Heupel up tempo offense, just guys going down with severe cramps everywhere i mean just the worst cases of cramps you've ever seen in your life funny and, how that works yeah and everyone does it i've seen tennessee players do it so it's not any it's not any individual team it's this new up-tempo style of offense and tennessee just being at the forefront i think the stat if i'm wrong here connor correct me is seven seconds from the the whistle blowing the play dead to getting the snap off on the next play yeah, I think it's usually eight to ten. I think that's. It, I know they they're run, the fastest in the country. It's crazy. Yeah, I think they run four plays a minute or something, which is Jesus. like they they have the fastest tempo in the country. Okay, so I'm getting the brightest minds on this right here. Me and you, we're gonna figure this out. What does college football do about the fake cramps? How do you prevent that from happening? Because it's hard to say. Well, just penalize teams because what if a dude's actually having a cramp? Who's to say? It's that's a super hard thing to do. So what do we do? I think you have to stay out for that series. You come out, you're done until they they get rid of the ball. Because that's the only way 
and even then it might like even then teams might be like screw it it's worth it just get them send in send in like a third string safety for one play yeah and if that happens like then i don't know what you do but to prevent it from happening as the tennessee ole miss game ole miss was just egregious with it and then hypo saw it and was like well we're gonna start doing it too so then they they started doing it and that game lasted you know four and a half five hours and then you had of course the delay with throwing shit onto the field it took forever um (laughs) i think that little thing (laughs) you can't say you come out for the game that's ridiculous but coming out for a series i feel like is is fair yeah that's that's one that we i've seen a lot of discussion on and there's no consensus as to like what to do because it reminds me of when these offenses started started running this up-tempo style and they had to implement or if the offense subbed players that you had to allow the defense time to sub as well well you remember whose idea that was it, it was Saban who said it was dangerous to be running offense like this, and then he started doing it, and now it's not dangerous anymore. Well, that's just Saban. I mean, he makes things dangerous and not dangerous. When you win that many natties, you can pretty much write the rule book. So I think Correct. if Hypel yeah, if, if Hypel wins that many natties, I don't think you'd be worried about to benefit him. <laughs> so there we go. There's that, and I've said that if Vanderbilt. Uh, comes out, I would have a player drop down in between every single play because that, I mean, I don't understand why coaches don't, people can hate on it, but it gives, if it gives you a 1% better chance to be competitive than do it. And that's, that's why Lane Kiffin did it because he looks at things that way in a common sense way that other coaches just don't. Um, but going into this game, uh, like I said, the, the fast paced offense, the fireworks that you've seen with hooker, that's what people know about Tennessee. And that's what, that's what the headlines are. What parts of whether it's offense or defense, what parts of this team specifically concern you, not necessarily in losing this game, but more looking forward? Um, and where are some we- where are some weaknesses lie on this Tennessee roster? Um, they're not awesome at linebacker. They're very thin. Like the the starting three can are, are serviceable, but if you know one of those those guys goes down, you're really looking at some guys that you'd rather not have in there. Um, the secondary is fine. The defensive line is fine. The defense has actually been, you know, you said the offense gets all the headlines. The defense has been fine. I think they're still in the top two or three in the country in tackles for loss. They, they give up more points than what you would say a good defense does. But I think half of that is just the fact that they're out there for a hundred plays every game by the nature of, you know, the offense hypo runs and, having 15 minutes of possession um so i think they've they've done about as good a job as anybody could expect the offense pretty much every game has done what you would like it to do um so but if if there was one area that i would say is what you could exploit i i would say linebacker so it sounds like to me you're drinking the josh heifel kool-aid is that fair to say love josh there we go there we go he's drinking absolutely love him there we go. So I have a question for you as somebody that's watched a lot of football and grew up watching a Georgia Tech team that could literally not have run a more opposite style of offense than well, what you're currently watching. Ask your question and then I'll, I'll go back to that. Okay. So what I'm getting to is there's been a reason that Heupel, and I don't consider Lane Kiffin the same as Josh Heupel because Lane Kiffin is Lane Kiffin. I put him in a whole different category of like riverboat gambler, just unique. So really Heupel is the first time you've seen this a real up-tempo offense like this run in the SEC, you, like this fast. I mean, to the extreme. You've seen it at UCF. You've seen it at these smaller levels, um, group of six schools. But you really haven't seen a Hypel-esque offense, which there's not a ton like it. But you haven't seen one of those implemented because of the defenses in the SEC and the powerful lines on the offensive line. And the concern is always that you may be able to come out and be winning at the end of the first quarter. Hell, you may be leading going into the second half against these high high level teams like Georgia, whether it's Ole Miss this year, but as this game goes on, you're only going to possess the ball for 15 to 20 minutes max, even if your offense is moving the ball up and down the field, which then leads to your defense being on the field and getting worn down, worn down, worn down, and you're gonna lose a ton of games by two to three scores in that 14 to 21 point range because your, your defense just cannot hold up with 15 minutes of time possession, time of possession week in, week out. So does that concern you as Tennessee tries to make the next step forward next season uh, with what seems to be a pretty talented roster coming back? Um, 
maybe a little bit. I think you've seen the game that embodies the most was Kentucky, which was it 45, 42, some, whatever the score Somewhere was. in there, I'll look that up. Both in the 40s. Um, UT, I think, had the ball for 14 minutes. And I remember Kentucky ran 99 plays. And the defense at the end was just gassed. And, like, you just understood, like, you just got to outscore them, which Tennessee did. Um, I think – is it ideal? No. But when it's your team and you can prepare for it and spend all offseason, like, listen – Y'all got to just – it is what it is. Like, this is what it's going to be. Y'all are ready for it. Um, what you said about the triple option, I actually think it's pretty interesting. It's the exact opposite of the triple option, but in many ways it's the same principles. Like, it's scheming your way to an advantage when you can't necessarily recruit your way to an advantage, if that makes sense. Now, I think Tennessee – I think there are going to be guys lining up to play for Josh Heupel. Um, but it's you're scheming your way to an advantage in the triple option. It's, you know, optioning off defenders in Heupel's system. It's a lot of the same principles, getting the ball in space with blockers, and it's just going so fast that you can't keep up. So while it's the exact opposite, it's kind of the same, if that makes sense. Which a hypo type offense, I obviously, it's been joked about for years that Vanderbilt needs to start running the triple option. And that was just dumb because if Georgia Tech went away from it, then no matter what, that's, it's just not a good option. But what I wanted was as much as I liked the idea of having our guy come back in Clark Lee and somebody that legitimately with young kid, younger kids wants his family to be here, he's not going to, if he was a successful coach, he's not going to do what James Franklin did and dart to Penn State. He's going to stay because this is where he wants to be. Um, and I legitimately do believe him when he says the things like, this is his dream job. So I see why they went that direction. But for Vanderbilt, you hit on it right there. They need an offense like that, that schemes your way to an advantage because no matter what they do, even at the peak of Franklin, I mean, they're lucky to break the top 25 in a recruiting class. They're never going to recruit their way to an advantage. And that kind of gets to how we are here right now. Tennessee's roster, even with the transfers and the depleted thin roster they have, the talent the talent gap is huge because Vanderbilt faced the same issues to an even greater extent, losing uh, Donovan Kaufman, a four-star. You, you lost Tay Daly. You lost a lot of talent. Dimitri Moore, a former four-star. So Vanderbilt's defense has struggled this year, and Tennessee's athletes getting them out in space. Are there anything – I don't know. How, how much have you been able to watch Vanderbilt this year? Um, I've watched a few of the games I watched. They're not very fun to watch. I watched the Yukon game. I was out at a bar with some friends and I asked them to turn. It wasn't a sports bar. It was like a, like people were dancing and there was loud music. <laughs> I asked them to turn on Vanderbilt Yukon because I was so interested in watching it. And it was actually, it was a good game for what That's the amazing part. I, I was there in the stadium. It was actually a very entertaining game, which yeah, is the crazy it was part. Entertaining is the correct word. Um, I watched that one. I saw a little bit of the Ole Miss game last week. Um, you know, they're not good. Um, does anything, if you watched any of the Ole Miss game last week, does anything that they did against that Ole Miss, Ole Miss offense, they held them to 31 points. I know Ole Miss wasn't showing a lot necessarily, but still, that's a big step forward from where you gave up 28 points to UConn, giving up 43 to Stanford. That's still a big step in the right direction. Is there anything that – you see going into this that gives you any cause for concern of an upset happening this week? I think if there is one advantage you could say um, Vanderbilt has and that any team could have is that if you play Ole Miss the week before you play Tennessee and you get at least a look at it, this may sound crazy. I'd take Tennessee's offense over Ole Miss's right now. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that's crazy necessarily. Yeah, I, th uh, I think you could – certainly debate that but like um you know it doesn't it doesn't hurt them that they just played Ole Miss um but I think I think that was kind of a a sleepwalking situation for Ole Miss going into the Egg Bowl whereas for UT they you know there's no game after this it's obviously the bowl game but this is it so they're I think they'll be much more ready to go than maybe Ole Miss was yeah, I mean, this, this, regardless of what anybody says, it has the feel of a rivalry game more than it used to when I was growing up, just because of what has happened in the recent years, like I said right at the beginning. Um, so we'll kind of get into a little bit more of the game breakdown and your prediction here. So 
how do you see this game playing out? How do you see this game going on what is going to be a pretty chilly uh, afternoon there in Knoxville? Um, honestly, I don't think it will be very dissimilar from Tennessee's game against South Alabama last week. I think it's kind of UT's just going to score kind of as much as they want to knock on wood. And that'll be that. I actually just placed a, uh, a parlay today on the Barstool Sportsbook, which all y'all should be using. Uh, there we go. See if you're not. Um, and I call it the rivalry week ship pump parlay. And it's UT minus 31, Georgia minus 35, and Houston's minus 33 against UConn. And I was like, I think all three of those teams are going to win. But shut up, dogs. All three of those teams are going to win by 50 points, I think. Um, this is, this, the, I mean, you're pretty much just stating what, when you read online, pretty much anything discussing this from a Tennessee fan's perspective is I've already seen tweets congratulating Josh Heupel on a seven and five season. And I can't exactly say that I disagree with that statement. Okay. So, but, I mean, if, if UT lost this game, it would be the most catastrophic loss to Vandy ever. I think. Yeah. I mean, at this, where they both are right now, I mean, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from that. I do have some stats and I could be, these could be way off. Um, I, I use a source SEC stat cat. He charts the plays specifically. Um, and I, and I want to get your thoughts on it before we get into our predictions on here. Um, so UT right now is the worst defense in the entire SEC at forcing three and outs. Uh, they are doing that just 18.5% of the time. Then for an example, Vanderbilt um, is 25% of the time is how, how often they force three and outs. So right there, that's, that's the possession or 32%. I'm sorry, is Vanderbilt's stat on that. So Tennessee is less than 20% of the time forcing teams to go three and out initially. And I, that's, that's according to his charting, but I'm also going to go into some stats that are not as debatable, which is UT has struggled to stop the run. Um, and specifically the quarterback run. You saw that against Ole Miss. Um, a lot of their stats are very, 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 very similar to Missouri's defense. Um, when you look at where they have struggled, they have a pretty decent secondary. They get some pressure on the quarterback, but their run defense, like the linebackers that you said, really, really struggle to contain athletic quarterbacks. That's what Vanderbilt's bringing in. My question is not, does that lead to an upset? With the line of 31 points is pretty much where I want to discuss where we're sitting at. Does that concern you where, and I hate time of possession, it's my least favorite stat on the planet, but does that concern you that Vanderbilt could possibly control the ball a lot and make it difficult for UT to cover that 31-point spread? Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, uh, I think it was the Kentucky game. UT had touchdown drives of, like, 11 seconds, 18 seconds, 40 seconds. Like, even if you do that, they just two plays and they're gone. Um, what you were talking about, the quarterback run, if you, in the Ole Miss game, if you just said – Matt Corral is not allowed to scramble only on third downs. UT would have won that game by like 13 points. It was unbelievable. Every single time he just somehow got a first down. It was, it was so infuriating. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe like they, they certainly could. Um, what was the line in the Ole Miss game? 36 and a half. So Vanderbilt's actually covered. I think when I was looking back, they've covered a lot of weeks in a row outside of the Mississippi State game. Um, they've been big underdogs like this. And let me actually pull up their schedule and go through. So maybe uh, I'm not meaning to talk you out of your bet here um, because you sounded pretty secure in it. It's but too late. It's already in. So. <laughs> it's, already, it's already booked. So they were 36 yeah. and a half against Ole Miss, lost by 14. I know they were around in the upper 20s against Kentucky, lost by 17. They were a 21-point underdog against Missouri, 20 points, I believe, lost by nine. Mississippi State blown out. They were like a 10-point underdog against South Carolina, lost by one. So basically what I'm getting at is this is not the first time we've seen a line like this, and I'm going to get into your prediction here, which I can imagine what it's going to be, um, is I'm trying to get a little bit of doubt, maybe cause a little bit of intrigue in your mind uh, going into this game, but let's hear that score prediction and, and where you see it going. Um, I think UT wins something like 49 to 13-ish. Um, I think they'll score, you know, about as often as they have most other games. Like, they scored 60 against South Alabama, but there were two safeties and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, like 49 to 13. 
I mean, you're not too crazy off where I was. I was expecting it like 58 to three, the way you were talking or something like that. No, I mean, no, not that I gave my prediction in segment one, but I said that 41 to 27, um, because I think that this, this Tennessee defense has not really been talked about a lot just because of how good the offense has been. And they've actually had some, pre- they have a pretty decent defensive line. The secondary's played pretty decent, um, but that linebacking group has just allowed a lot of yards rushing. And I know that Missouri going into that game was thinking about Mike Wright running the ball a lot, and he was still able to have a lot of success against them. And I see a lot of similarities between those teams. So I'll be pretty surprised if Vanderbilt's not able to cross the 20-point threshold here, um, which then makes that cover a little bit tougher over there for Tennessee since they would have to cross into the 50s. Um, but, Connor, I mean, it's it's been a pleasure to have you here, man. I, I we, We've got to catch up and grab a beer, maybe hit the links. You sent me a nice video of that golf swing over at Top Golf, so – we got to go out and hit the link soon. But, Connor, any parting words, any plugs here for, for your podcast or the Barstool app? Uh, yeah, listen to Macrodosing uh, wherever you listen to podcasts on YouTube uh, and use the Barstool Sportsbook. And uh, Black Friday, everything's 20% off in the Barstool store. Go buy Macrodosing merch. If you're a Braves fan, Braves uh, World Series merch, get all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, well, you got you got to give me a little it, you got to give me a little anchor down though for old Dansby there. You got to give me an anchor down for what Dansby helped you out there with that uh I do I do have uh my dog Dansby is in here somewhere. I don't see him right now. But uh Dansby was was clutch. He the game the game 5 homer he had tied it. That was or 4 whatever game it was. Yeah. Um that was awesome. So yeah, you got that. He made the final out there at the end of the game. But, Connor, it was a pleasure having you on. We'll definitely have to catch up soon and grab a beer. For sure. I appreciate it, bro. As always, thank you, everybody, for listening. You've been tuned into the Door Report Segment 2 with Big T from Barstool Sports, Connor Knapp. Thanks for listening and anchor down.